Hello and welcome back to episode 14 of Society 2.0. I am your host, Bob Luttenbach. It is Super Bowl Sunday, folks. Super Bowl Sunday. We've got the Patriots and the Rams. I do not have a dog in this hunt. I'm an Eagles fan. I've got my requisite Super Bowl from last year, and I'm pretty excited about it. It can be another uh, 53 years before we win another one, and I'm, I'll be okay. Taking some time right now to finish up this episode. This is a very exciting interview. I sit down with best-selling author, speaker, serial entrepreneur, Jay Samet. Um, you might know him very well from his book called Disrupt You. It is a bestseller, and I highly recommend it. I read it, and it was, without a doubt, the best. I don't, I don't even want to call it a self-help book because that puts it in a whole different category. Jay really kind of breaks down what you need to do to disrupt yourself. He actually maps out a strategy, a step-by-step process that is essentially a proven model for success. And he gives very concrete examples. And and that's why I don't really categorize it as just a pure self-help book, because it's not a lot of flowery prose about how to better yourself. There are real examples of how you can disrupt yourself all throughout your career, no matter what stage you are. If you're starting out, if you're in the middle, if if the industry disrupts you and now you need to reinvent yourself, if you are trying to figure out what's next for you, as a matter of fact, it, it, no matter what stage you're in right now, read this book because it will prepare you for what will be something that's inevitable. It, the, the, the path that you're on right now, the career you're in, will most likely be disrupted through external or internal forces, or you'll just decide you want to move on and do something different. And Jay's book, Disrupt You, will definitely help you through that process. Now, I really enjoyed my talk with Jay, not only because his book was incredible, but because we are both native Philadelphians, so we had that link together. I only wish we could have shared this conversation over a cheesesteak or a, a Philly soft pretzel. That would have been that would have taken it to a whole new level. But anyway, we will get to the interview in just a second. But first, let's get into some exciting news about AI. So I came across this article, and it was on Science Daily, and it was called "Engineers Translate Brain Signals Directly into Speech." And this was dated January 29th, 2019. And the source for this particular article came from the Zuckerman Institute at Columbia University. And the summary is, in a scientific first, neuroengineers have created a system that translates thought into intelligible, recognizable speech. This breakthrough, which harnesses the power of speech synthesizers and artificial intelligence, could lead to new ways for computers to communicate directly with the brain. Okay, this is super cool. It's super creepy too that you basically could wire your brain up to a speech synthesizer and your thoughts could be translated from brain waves out to that speech synthesizer for other folks to hear. Now, this would be an amazing breakthrough for people with advanced stages of ALS, people who may have had some form of severe head trauma that can't speak, but we could now hear what they're thinking. So I have to sit here and wonder, could we use this for people in a coma? If this is you know, in the advanced stages of development, I wonder where this will be applied first. Now, as I mentioned, there is the creepiness factor where if you were hooked up to this, would it be able to just say all your thoughts or would you need to trigger it through some other mechanism from within the brain? So it wouldn't just randomly spout out what you're thinking. But either way, this is a pretty interesting, this is what I've said before in that I'm less concerned about the super intelligent AI that could, we could develop. It's more interesting and more creepy and more scary, actually, to see how we may augment ourselves to become this next biological, mechanical thing. The evolution of man somehow is intertwined with 
technology to the point where can you tell us apart? I mean, people are always afraid of the, the big bad AI, but uh, we as a species have done some pretty horrible things to each other. So imagine what we could do if we were enhanced, so to speak, enhanced in ways where we could think more quickly. How crazy would social media be? How crazy would the internet be if we could jack ourselves directly into the stream? You know, forget about computers. This would be us basically connecting directly into the internet. Well, I don't want to go too far down into the dark rabbit hole, but if I look on the bright side of this, this technology could really help people out with ALS, stroke, or have other problems being able to speak. So it's pretty exciting news and we should uh, keep our eyes on it. And I definitely will. And if I hear anything new, I will let you all know. And that is our news brief for this week. Please don't forget to reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram at SocietyWire or email me your hate mail at bob at SocietyWire.net. I would love to hear from you. Love to hear what you think about the show. Anybody you think I should talk to? I love to get people's feedback on who I should talk to. I'm always surprised at the names that I get. So please do not hesitate to reach out to me. I'm always listening. But enough about me. Let's get into this really exciting interview with Jay Samet. I am sure you're going to love it. I want to welcome to the podcast today, Jay Samet, serial disruptor, best-selling author, and keynote speaker. Welcome, Jay. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming out today. Um, Jay is the best-selling author of Disrupt You, and it's an amazing book. I will put links in the show notes to, to get this book. You have to get it. It's an amazing read. Jay, I love how the book provides a clear roadmap for disrupting yourself, and it can apply to disrupting your business. Um, and that really, job security is an illusion, and it, it crushes ambition. And if you just apply some drive and inspiration, you can basically succeed in anything. It's about your mindset. And, and I love how you sum that up in the book. Yeah, I mean, there's only two things that you need to be successful. Um, first is insight, and insight can be taught. You can learn insight. I try to teach insight. And, and I, I mean, I, I teach how to build a high-tech startup at the largest engineering school in the U.S. And I had one year, two students, while they were still young students, do $150 million their first year. So insight can be taught. The second thing you need is perseverance. That can't be taught. So the only person that can stop you is you, or as Henry Ford famously said, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. I love that. Um, so you know, we're, we're hitting a time where most of what you were taught, most of where your parents guided you to get that safe job at this big company, you know, go to that hundred year old Sears, you know, go to that Kodak, go to, you're seeing a hundred year old companies disappear and being replaced by startups that are, you know, three kids in a garage. And this isn't a freak occurrence. Um, the vast majority of the Fortune 500, the original list, are now gone. And the reason is we are now one click away on our phones from six billion consumers. You only have to be right for a nanosecond to make a fortune or change the world. Every 48 hours, there's a new self-made billionaire. That's with a B. 76% of billionaires didn't come from money. They didn't go to the right schools. They're no different than you or I. And if you would have told me when I was growing up in Philadelphia, we're both from Philly, that dozens of my friends would become self-made billionaires, I would have asked you what you were smoking. <laughs> because, you know, I grew up in a row home. You don't even own your walls. Um, you know, I thought somebody that was rich was somebody that had a car. Um, yeah, SEPTA was our limo. And what I'm now, you know, seeing is how easy it is. and and. Let me explain, because when I tell people that half of all jobs will disappear over the next five years, not 50 years, not your children's lifetime, next five years, they don't believe it. So let's go back 100 years for a second. 100 years ago, half of Americans lived on farms making food that fed the other half. Two inventions, irrigation and the tractor. And today we have 1.8% not only feed the other 98%, but we export food to the majority of the world. Taken a different way, if only 1.8% are working on farms, that 40 
8% of farmers lost their jobs. Half of all jobs in the U.S. disappeared. But the Industrial Revolution took them in. Well, every time you put a robot on an assembly line, that replaces eight human jobs. We are automating. Anything that can be automated will be automated. And it's not just blue collar. Um, I was vice chairman of the largest consulting firm in the world. The majority of accountants are going to be software. The majority of lawyers are going to be software. AI systems can do this. Burger flipping. If you raise minimum wage, burger flipping robots are cheaper. Um, there's, you know, pizza robots. There are the number one job on tax returns is truck driver. Autonomous vehicles, I drive a self-driving car. I'm driven by a self-driving car. They're amazing. So the mundane tasks will be automated. Is there so, anything safe? Yes, creativity. The 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 general AI, the the Terminator, you know, BS is 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 not likely in the next several generations um, for a whole bunch of reasons of how complex it is. Um, so, you know, if you made fun of the kid that was the liberal arts major, you know, <laughs> they stand a, they stand a better chance than than many of the uh, engineers. Uh, and and it, because you can you, a computer can learn knowledge. Knowledge is finite. Creativity is infinite. So the creative thinkers, and that that's where innovation comes from. People think that entrepreneurs sell stuff, right? No one ever went into a hardware store to buy a quarter-inch drill bit because they wanted a quarter-inch drill bit. They wanted a quarter-inch hole, so they bought a drill bit, okay? They wanted to solve a problem. So entrepreneurs just solve problems. Solve a problem for a million people, you become a millionaire. Solve for a billion, you change the world. It's that easy. Yeah, and, and one of the things you say in your book, and I've heard you say in public, is spend some time every day writing down problems that you see in everyday life. And Absol do absolutely. that for a month. And you, if, if that's a problem for you, it's probably a problem for other people as well. That could be an opportunity right there. That's where they all come from. And, and here's the thing. If you have lots of problems in your life, congratulations, you're halfway to being successful. Uh, what, That's a great what, way to look at it. I love that. What happens is most of us calcify. Most of us, to make it through our hectic lives, develop habits. I have a habit. I was taking my son a few years ago. He was looking to get his first apartment. We passed an apartment building. Well, that looks good. Write down that phone number. He takes out his phone and takes a picture. Now, I take pictures with my phone, but it would never have occurred to me to use the phone that way because I have a habit of writing things down because I developed the habit before there were phones. There's a whole generation that doesn't have arcane habits. There is new technology out there that can solve problems that we didn't see as problems because that's the way it always was. And so what, by writing down three problems a day, the first couple of days, they're obvious. You know, I have, I have traffic, I have this, I have that. But as you get to day three, day five, day 15, day 20, you have to break down moment by moment of your life to see what are actually problems that you don't even recognize because that's just the way life is. And there may be a solution. And you don't have to invent these solutions. Every person listening to my voice right now has written more code than Steve Jobs, who created the first trillion dollar tech company. Hmm. Steve wasn't an engineer. Waz was the genius engineer. Steve was an entrepreneur. So you can hire engineering skills. You can hire graphic artists. You can hire almost anything. I mean, I'm a dyslexic kid from, from Philadelphia when, when in elementary school, and you could back this up. You grew there. We had three reading groups, the Eagles, the Hawks, and the Mud Hens, you know? <laughs> When you're told you're mud-handed five, you, you know, there's not a lot of high hopes for you. In yeah, life. yeah. Richard uh, Branson, dyslexic. Walt Disney, dyslexic. I mean, one out of three business owners are dyslexic. It's a different way of thinking. It's not a handicap. So anybody can achieve. Yeah. That's the, that's the message. Yeah. You will be disrupted, whether by choice or circumstance, every career will get disrupted. How you respond is up to you. And that's why I wrote Disrupt You to give people that chance. Yeah, and what I love is that you say in the book that you don't really, and, and you've, again, you say publicly, you don't lose your job. You know, it's not like your keys. It, it, you eventually kind of give it away because you, you 
someone was quicker, faster, smarter, and wanted wanted that job more than you did. And so, or, go ahead. Or somebody was smarter to realize you don't need that job and that whole job. I mean, at one point or another, I ran most of the world's record labels. And it was in senior management. And when Napster came out, half of all jobs in this global industry disappeared that year. I mean, very fast change. So if you lost your job at one record label, you couldn't go to some other. You couldn't go, oh, I lost my job at, at Columbia. I'm going to go to Universal. I'm going to go to Warner Brothers. All the jobs disappeared. So you either said, wow, there's no jobs in the record industry. I, I'm middle-aged. I'm screwed. Or you look at yourself and your skills differently. You, you break yourself down and you disrupt who you think you are. And a great example is record guys were amazing at taking an unknown person and on Tuesday make them somebody that you line up around the world to buy. Well, that's that's product marketing. That's really an innovative thing to do again and again. So why not apply that to, as Jimmy Iovine did, a pair of headphones? And why not do the same guerrilla marketing techniques to, to get a band popular? You know, maybe there's uh, some envelopes of cash that magically end up in the locker room. And so at the Olympics, every swimmer comes out to that pool and they're all wearing Beats headphones, even though Beats is not an Olympic sponsor and didn't pay a dime. And billions of people see this all at once. And they sell that company for over a billion dollars. Yeah, that was a great story in the book. I love that. I didn't know that that was what happened. But yeah, everybody was wearing Beats. And you yeah, would have thought I, they were a sponsor. I'd give a shout out to the, to the, the guy who used to work for me who did that. Um, but I'll just say Ted did a great job on that. Um, yeah, it, it, it's so it's so easy. And I've seen it again and again. I've seen it, you know, I, I got to travel the world and the books in eight languages and, and, and meet teenagers that a teenage girl comes home one day and her mom's crying. She's 14, no super powers, no parents that are PhDs, just regular family. And the mom's crying because the mom's sister, the girl's aunt has breast cancer. And she was learning in her seventh or eighth grade computer class about neural networks and was supposed to make a little soccer game. And she said, what if I make a neural network about breast cancer? Make a long story short, a year later, she creates something that now saves 40,000 women's lives a year. It is the most accurate way of predicting breast cancer on the planet. And it was done by a 14 year old. If that doesn't make me feel like a slacker who's done nothing with his life. And it goes on and on and on because they don't have these calcified habits. Everything is just a click away of knowledge. You can either spend your time watching cats playing the piano <laughs> or learning about the world. You know, it's equal opportunity. You know, I was so excited when the president called me. Could I get the Internet into American schools? Because I saw this as a chance to reverse Brown versus school board, you know, give equal access to knowledge to everyone. And when my book hit number one in Korea and number one in Australia and, and places where people are thirsting to build their economy and have more, you know, v Vietnam. I would have never guessed Vietnam would be, you know, a, a huge place for, for the book. You see that people make a choice. Either let life happen to you, either, you know, you run your day or the day runs you. Hmm. Yeah, and I like the fact in the, in the book, you make it pretty clear that there's no magic formula here. It's, if you have focus, you believe in yourself, which is a critical component, of course. <laughs> You, and and just look for opportunities. And I guess most importantly, stop making excuses. Then you can be successful. You can disrupt yourself and and make things happen for yourself. Yeah, the world doesn't owe you anything. And unfortunately, most of the mentors, you know, parents, teachers, people that guide you, they gave up on their dreams. And they want you to give up on your dreams, not because they're mean-spirited but because they're trying to protect you from pain and from failing. Well, guess what? Failing's part of the process. There's nobody that you can point to that's successful that didn't fail. There's a difference between failing and failure. Failing is finding out what doesn't work. You know, Thomas Edison failed a thousand times till he got the light bulb. Failure's throwing in the towel and giving up. And so many of the iconic brands and businesses that you use today were actually failures that pivoted. And we were talking before the show, you know, my all-time favorite. 10 years ago when broadband came out, you could suddenly pump video through the internet. Three guys sat down and said, oh my God, online dating's huge, but it's still pictures. We're going to do it with videos. 
It's called TuneIn Hookup. We're going to become so rich. And they built this killer site. And there was one thing that they didn't realize. Nobody wanted to date the losers that put up videos. I mean, the first video was literally a guy standing in front of the elephant at the zoo. You know, <laughs> great pickup spot to, to, to get the ladies. But they looked at the data. And the data said nobody wanted to date these losers, but every woman wanted to show her friends how bad the dating pool was. So they shared the video. So they changed the name of TuneIn Hookup at the end of their first year to YouTube and became billionaires without a penny in revenue. Yeah, that's just amazing. And that goes to the, the other part about the book where you constantly say that disruption is continual. It's not something, it's not one and done. Hey, I disrupted myself. We're good to go. Uh, I'm sure there's some edge cases where you hit the lottery, but you constantly need to evolve. And, and you did it too. You went from the, you know, the best lottery machine you ever thought you were invented to airport kiosk, to betting on laser discs, to disrupting EMI. It was a constant reevaluation of opportunities that were in front of you. So that, that's another important message that you, that you bring to the book. It's just like, you can't just sit down, do just one thing and then it's over. You have to constantly keep an eye on what's changing in the market. What's cha- how, do you, how do your skill sets apply to those things and how can you add value to the, you bring up value chain a lot. How do you add yeah. value to the value chain? If, if you're not going to keep moving on the highway of progress, you're going to be roadkill. And that goes for companies. And that's your advantage. That's what a lot of people don't understand. I've been a public NASDAQ CEO. When you're running a big company, to make a bunch of bets on future things is really risky for that CEO because you're spending money that may take years to innovate. When in fact, they could just go buy something that works and overpay for a little company and then boom, put it through their distribution and scale. And that's why Apple and Google and Facebook spend billions of dollars for these companies that have never made any money. So I have dozens and dozens and a hundred friends that, that you know are multimillionaires and have never made a profit. They wouldn't know how to make a profit. I've, I've, I've created companies that I've sold that weren't profitable that you know sold for you know in excess of, of $200 million. So it's a different economy. And, and here's, here's a basic thing that they got wrong in teaching you elementary school math, you know, Bobby buys an apple for a dollar. He sells it for two. He now makes a dollar. That's a zero sum game that there's only so many dollars and I want your dollars and, and, or you get mine. That's why people have this fear of immigrants taking jobs or any of these silly things. If I start a company with $10 and I sell you 10% for $10, I've now created a $100 company. I've made $90 that didn't exist on the planet before. Mm -hmm. Nobody backed up the Brinks truck or dozens of them to Bezos's house, give him $100 billion, $140 billion. He created that $140 billion that didn't exist in any bank before him. And that's what people don't get. Yeah. It's It's literally the Midas touch. When you create something, you're creating value that didn't exist in the universe. So you can sit and make money out of thin air. If that isn't exciting, I don't know what is. Yeah, tell me about it. And you bring up one of my pet concerns, which is um, how slowly the educational systems evolve. So, you know, we, we didn't get taught a lot of this stuff in school. And we're basically, the schools are basically there to produce worker bees. So, yeah, well, the, the educational ahead. system hasn't changed for for well over a century. And it was designed to give you enough reading and math ability to go work at a factory. Um, and it's interesting. Uh, Seth Godin uh, tells how the story of Icarus was, was, was changed in school. We all know the moral of Icarus that you don't fly too high, you know, the wings melt and he crashes into the sea. And that was really to tell you as a student worker, don't, don't have big dreams. Don't, don't, you know, don't, don't, don't shoot for the stars. In the real story, in the ancient Greek story, there's also, it tells when Icarus flew too low that the fog weighed down the wings and he crashed, hmm. you know? So don't, don't play it safe. Uh, but we left that out. So, so we've really, you know, the IQ test was designed by the military to see who should be cannon fodder and who has enough brains to train to keep alive. So no one was saying, how do we make society better, you know, nobody, you know, and, and I sit here and to me, the purpose of life is to live a life of purpose. You got one shot on this planet. 
and how can you make a difference? How can you leave it better than you came? You don't get to live forever, but what you create can. And people don't build statues and monuments to those that played it safe. It's to those that went out and took that risk. And the second you take that risk, here's what's going to happen. You have a new idea for a business. I don't even know what it is, and I'm already going to tell you it sucks. <laughs> it absolutely sucks. I guarantee it. But what's going to happen is as you pursue it, as you go deeper into the woods than anybody ever has, you will learn knowledge that nobody ever had, and that will change and adapt that idea to make it something of incredible value. So it's taking that first step. You don't have to, you know, we're coming up on Martin Luther King Day. You don't have to know the whole journey to take the first step. You don't have to see every step of the road. But once you start going, you'll discover what you need. It, there's no gatekeepers in today's society. There's no, everybody has access to money. Everybody has access to funding. Everybody has access to markets. Yeah, and the What's other thing, you? yeah, and the other thing that's really cool is that I I found just in mind, especially in the recent years, because I think as you get older, you you, I guess the best way to put it is that you don't suffer like you don't I don't say you suffer you don't suffer fools, but you also are more. What's the worst thing that can happen if you ask? I'm always surprised at how willing people are to help, like mentors. You know, you'd be surprised that if you just ask for help, there are people willing to share their knowledge. So, um, Reed, Reed Hoffman wrote the intro to my book, and I work with Reed on launching LinkedIn. And one of the most powerful aspects of LinkedIn is you can find mentors in any field. And people want validation for their life and their knowledge. So you can reach out to almost anybody at any level. And of course they want to help. Of course they want to you know, be validated and have their knowledge. Um, this past year, uh, I decided to put my reputation to the test. And though, you know, thousands of people have loved the book and 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 send praise. Every once in a while I get an email from usually a, a young person that says, you know, it's motivational, but I could not do this. So I found a kid who grew up on, on welfare, couch surfing millennial, and I mentored him. And in one year, he went from homeless to self-made millionaire. I didn't introduce him to anybody. I didn't give him any capital. I didn't tell him what business to go into. I just applied the principles and disrupt you and, and, and walk him through it. And it's, and I, he kept some notes. What was interesting is that the six months mark when it was already doing incredibly well, um, he showed me his notes from the first meeting where he disagreed with everything that I said, <laughs> but he said, I don't want to blow this opportunity. So I'll go along with it and then I'll show him that he's wrong. Um, and, uh, I might've known what I was talking about and, you know, when, you know, by month two, he was making $80,000 a month. This kid could have flown around the world without an airplane. He was so excited and so motivated. Uh, and, you know, that's what it's about. I mean, overcoming problems is what makes it so sweet on the other side. And and if you're still afraid of what others will think or, you know, what what happens if you fail – Go visit your grandparents or go to a senior center, even better, an old age home, and ask these people what they regret in their lives. And not one will say something that they failed at. Invariably, it'll be the things that they didn't try. You know, I love playing the saxophone. I wish I would have tried to get in a band. I, I wish I would have tried this. I, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. Well, life goes by in a blink. Okay. the truth, yeah. I still think of myself as the young kid with the new idea that was, you know, the, you know, how exciting to, you know, put the first video on a PC and, you know, all these things that were new and, you know, making video games and all this stuff. And then you turn around, you're the oldest guy in the meetings, uh, but you still mentally are, are the kid that's innovating and doing new stuff. You know, you can have so much fun. If you would have told me that I, I get to travel the world and meet with world leaders or, you know, help the Pope or the president, you know. I pinch myself. I'm dreaming. I have a perfect life. And that's why I try to pay it forward. You don't write a book to make a dime. It's not about making money. Uh, it's about how can I keep democracy safe? You cannot have a democracy without a strong middle class. And you can't have a middle class without job creators. And the only people to create jobs are not governments. They're entrepreneurs. All the job growth from 2008 depression was entrepreneurs. 
So if we can have a stable middle class, we can have peace and we can have a great society and solve systemic issues, climate change, whatever, together. If we don't have a middle class, life becomes miserable for everybody. Yeah, and, and that's what one of the things I've heard you say is, are you living a life or are you paying bills till you die? Yeah. And that's a pretty hard-hitting question for people that are, are in a position of, of whether they just lost their job, and I use the word lost loosely now, uh, or are trying to figure out what, what should I be doing? Or I'm 50 and I'm, why am I here? Like, what, well, what am I yeah. doing with my life? I thought there was going to be so much. Because as a kid, you're a dreamer and you think, I'm, I'm destined for something great. And then suddenly you're 50 and say, well, that didn't happen. Why didn't that happen? By, by the way, the, the life expectancy in America of, of blue-collar 50-year-olds is less than it was a generation ago. You know, the, the opioid crisis is people that have lost their jobs, which then they lose their family, and they lose their identity when they lose their jobs. And whether, you know, it's suicide, intentional, or accident, um, people are lost. So if you're talking about, you know, half of society potentially losing their jobs, you're talking about a devastation that, that is unfathomable. And in other countries, it's 80 and 90%. Um, you know, look at our, our neighbor to the south, Mexico, three largest sources of income. One, petroleum, that's going away. Solar's now cheaper, it always will be. It's not that I'm a tree hugger, it's just math. Number two, manufacturing. Well, manufacturing's being mechanized. Robots are manufacturing. So they're losing that. And the third was expats sending money back and that's kind of disappeared. So what do you do when you have a nation state that loses its ability to, to have any employment? You end up with a, with a, a failed nation. Well, failed nations create refugees, you know, so the best way to solve these problems is to teach people. And I went down there with the president of Mexico and worked in, they now have entrepreneur week. It's like our shark week on discovery. You know, let's show role models. Let's show people that are starting businesses. Let's show, you know, success stories. Everybody got out there and shot hoops because they saw Michael Jordan or Larry Bird or whoever, you know, LeBron James. Let's, let's, do the same thing. We're used to having these icons in the U.S., the Steve Jobs, the Zuckerbergs, uh, the Bill Gateses, but the rest of the world doesn't have that. And by the way, we have a huge competitive advantage that I, I discovered. We're the only nation that really doesn't shame failure. Yeah, that's true. That is that. You know, that is something unique about us. We actually, we're actually root for the underdog here. Well, it's more than that. When you and I grew up, whether it was I Love Lucy or, or Ralph Cramden, you know, they get a get-rich-quick scheme, it would blow up, and then life goes on. You know, uh, Homer Simpson, the same thing. We, we, our nation was created by, you know, explorers and unfortunately settled by settlers. And, you know, why settle in life for anything? Right. When you, if you're not growing, the only other choice is you're dying. So why not grow? You know, I, you know, I would rather wear out than rust. And you can be at any age and start a business, you know, whether you're a teenager, or whether you're uh, in your 70s. I had a partner on a project. He, he died last year. He was 94. We were going around pitching the studios. It was amazing. And we, we got, you know, a pilot greenlit on television. And he was, you know, as energetic as, you know, he was at the start of his career. Yeah, see, that's that's what I think. That's one of the important messages to tell, like people my age, almost fifty, saying, you know, it's never too late. Don't don't get down and think, oh, you know, I had my opportunity. It's for, it's you know, this is a young this is a young person's game. Like, no, you bring a lot of wisdom and experience to the table. So, as you said, I've heard you say in talks, you can hire just about any talent, but it's that it's that experience and that insight that that time also brings that yeah, you can and, apply. And it's even easier because the, the greatest motivation, you know, is fear. Okay. It's not that anybody overcomes their fear. I, I had kids when I was very young and I'm like, I look down at them and I'm like, they got to eat and I want them to have a good life. You know, I'm not going to let them down. So I'll try anything. Uh, when you get to that middle age thing, guess what? There is ageism on the hiring. And you're not going to get many jobs. 
So if you're not going to get jobs, it takes the same amount of energy to get out of bed each day and fight looking for a job, a needle in a haystack, as it would to start your own thing. And it doesn't take capital. You know, I started my first company for a dollar. I just printed business cards. I didn't make myself head of the company. Nobody believed a 21-year-old's head of something. Um, but you know, you can go out and you can do this and you can have virtual companies. Everybody doesn't have to be full-time. You can partner with people. You can Kickstarter. I mean, just go watch Shark Tank nowadays. Almost everybody on there, their first, before they got on there was, oh, I did a Kickstarter for this idea. Yeah. You know, it's that easy. And it's pretty amazing. All the ideas aren't taken. I mean, I still, you know, I, I get deal flow like nobody's business and I still get excited every once in a while where I'm like, I'm locking the door and, you're not getting out of here until I write you a check and have a piece of this company because this is absolutely brilliant and here's how I can help. And there's room in the market for, for competition. It's not just I have to have the brilliant idea. You know, oh. there's other players that can come in and you talk in your book about the David and Goliaths. The Davids are too busy fighting each other that the little, the, I mean, the Goliaths are too busy fighting each other. The Davids come along and because they're agile and they're taking risk, they don't have the baggage that weighs them down. They suddenly disrupt your you know, Goliath industry because you weren't focused on them at all. And I, I, I just um, was sitting down with a, a reader uh, from Nigeria, nice young man, very bright, very excited, wanting to change the world and full of dreams. And he pitched me all these, these, these traditional business ideas because he had these blinders on of, you know, there's somebody that, that has a shoe factory. I can make my shoe factory do this. And I'm like, so everything that you're telling me already has competition. And then I said to him, I said, is Tinder in Nigeria? He goes, yeah. And then I mentioned a couple other apps. And then I start going through the list. He goes, no, no, no. So, so wait a second. So all these people have built and figured out how to do the interface, have figured out what works and whatever. And we're so North American centric or European centric that they haven't gotten to Africa. Why not just take what they did, localize it, build a business and one of three things will happen. One, you don't know what you're doing and you fail, not likely. Number two, you build up a business making a ton of money. Or number three, you build up a business pointed out to the person and they buy it so they can become a global player. I mean, when we did the first auction, when eBay came out, everybody imitated around the world. eBay then just bought them all up and became eBay of the globe. So, you don't have to invent something in a whole cloth. You may even take an idea that was in one field and said, "Ooh, nobody's using that in another field. There were, I was judging a competition and the winner of the competition was a genius one. They took drones, they didn't invent drones, and they flew them over Florida, over all the orange fields, and the software can identify oranges. They knew crop futures before anybody, even the farmers or anybody on Wall Street. They could make billion dollar bets hedge funds, and they knew the outcome. Hmm. Pretty clever idea. Very simple. Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing. Sometimes it's simple. It doesn't have to be. It's uh, always simple. Yeah. When if I work you, with companies that in the technology field, you know, they're always it's like, what can we do to, what kind of tech do we need? And I said, sometimes you don't, 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 in, don't introduce tech for tech's sake. You might just need an operational change. Like it, yeah. it just take, take a holistic view of, of how, you interact with your guests or your, your customers, then let's and, sit back and see where tech can be applied. And people confuse tech and data. Yes. Every, everything is data driven. Your life is data driven. You have to get used to data. When I couldn't find my first job, I wanted to work in a, in, in a, in a Hollywood studio, Star Wars had come out. I wanted to make special effects. I thought that'd be the greatest career in the, in the world. A couple problems. I didn't know anybody in Hollywood. I didn't know how to make special effects, but just small you know, obstacles, you're, yeah. They're your kid and I'm a dreamer. So how do I get data to solve that problem? And this is, you know, pre-internet days, but you could do the same thing. So what I did is I ran an ad in a newspaper describing the job that I want as if it was a job listing. And I get a ton of resumes in. So now I can see two pieces of data that I need. One, what experience would I need to get that foot in the job entry thing? These are the type of resumes that I have to compete with. What language do they use? How do they present themselves? And number two, every one of these people 
is working at some place where they have one foot out the door. So now I know a whole bunch of companies that are going to need to hire somebody like me. Yeah, that was clever. I read that in the book and I was like, yeah, that's a pretty interesting way to find out who your competition is. But you can do the same thing today. You can always find a way to solve a problem. The, the other one that, you know, the number one business that fails in the U.S. is restaurants. Everybody says, oh, I've got a barbecue recipe. I'm going to make a fortune. Having good food has nothing to do with the success of a restaurant. Yes, you need that, but that's not what makes restaurants successful. So you have to look at the data. Why do restaurants fail? Well, people eat it two times a day, lunch and dinner. And if you sit one person at a table for four at lunch, you can't monetize those other three seats. So this guy said, I'm going to open a restaurant, but yeah, every table is going to be full. I'm going to force people to sit with strangers. Number two, if you have 20 things on the menu and people buy 18 of them, all your profits are eaten up by throwing out the other two. So he said, okay, I'm going to create a restaurant that only has three items so there's no waste. And if I'm going to only seat full tables, people are going to have to wait at the bar until there's enough people to fill a table. So bar tabs will go up, which is profit center. Now I have to come up with what concept and type of food would people put up with these first two rules. And for half a century, Benny Han has been killing it. Hmm. He, he didn't set out to say, I'm going to open a Tepeyac Japanese restaurant. He said, I need to solve for why restaurants fail. Yeah. And for those who are listening right now, the, the, there's stories like this littered throughout the book. So, and the, he's just giving you a couple samples, but there are some amazing stories about the businesses. I love the one about Silly Putty. Yeah, oh, how, yeah. That was, was basically uh, an accident, like trying yes, to solve a problem. Yeah, World War II, Japanese have all of the South Pacific where rubber's produced. Military needs tires. So they spend millions and millions, Westinghouse top labs, can they make a synthetic fake rubber? And they got something that had the same viscosity, but it wouldn't hold shape. And the war's over, they spend millions and millions, and it's just sitting there. And one entrepreneur hired some college kids on a weekend, stuffed them in eggs, took them to Toy Fair and called it Silly Putty, and it sold over 300 million of those eggs. Um, you know, finding a use for somebody else's, you know, failure. Yeah, no, I mean, so let's put on our VR prediction goggles on for a moment. Okay. So 16 years from now, when the, the current first graders are graduating college, okay, what's one thing that you think or will predict that will be very different from today as it relates to an opportunity to disrupt yourself, given all the technology that's, that's spawning today? Today, we spend five hours a day looking at our phone screen. Um, 16 years from now, we will never be looking at our phone screen. Mm. Um, we'll have heads up display on our glasses or contact lenses for most waking hours. That technology will start implementing uh, in mass in the next 24 months and will be uh, super cheap, you know, 80 million people using it uh, within three years. Uh, so an always connected life, as if you're always in Wi-Fi, an always connected life with heads up means the world changes from searching for information and Googling for information to our environment conspiring to bring us information. It knows where we are, why we're there, what our intent is. You're 1,600 feet from a McDonald's. You've eaten McDonald's four times this week. Up appear, you know, free French fries, you know, if you just grab them. Uh, I think that's the big difference. Uh, language will no longer be a barrier. Um, you can speak whatever you want and understand each other uh, seamlessly. Uh, Google has the Star Trek that, Universal Translator. Yes. Yeah. The the Babelfish now exists in twenty languages. It's the greatest for 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 traveling. You know, get an extra pair of Google uh, earbuds today. Go to anywhere in the world. Sit down. There's that beautiful person you want to spend the rest of your life with you hand her the the earphones and you're talking to each other and what a great icebreaker um the other challenge of 16 years from now is we're going to have mass migration uh climate change and most people living where there used to be ports you know miami's underwater um yes 16 years from now that will happen seasonally it won't be permanent uh, 50 years from now, it'll be permanent. So 
you know, if that many people we know are going to move, you know, how does that change how people think about physical goods and where do you move? And, you know, you can no longer have to live in a city when you can work uh, remotely from anywhere and and have telepresence anywhere. So a lot of positives, but a lot of challenges. So if there's a lot of challenges in the future, that's more opportunities for success. Yeah. And to the challenges, there are people that are, you know, a bit on edge at the prospect of their job being taken taken by or disrupted by AI, whether it's white collar, blue collar, or pink collar, uh, especially the, the task-oriented jobs and even the, the driving jobs. If you could give those people like one piece of advice from your travels around the world, from your experience on how they would can, or any recommendation on how they might personally disrupt themselves, where would you say this is where you need to start? Sure. So I'll, because I'll, people don't tend to be very introspective in a positive sense. They tend to put themselves down. I'll externalize the answer and then let you infer it. Pretend for a moment that I'm your doctor. I'm 57 years old and I'm going to tell you, I haven't read a single book, taken a single class since I got out of med school 30 years ago. You could wheel yourself in a wheelchair into my office and run out the door because you're not going to go to a doctor that hasn't learned anything in 30 years. So now let's reverse that. Why would anybody hire you if your skill set and knowledge aren't current? You made yourself obsolete, not society. The majority of college graduates in the U.S. never read another book in their lifetime. Let that sink in. Yeah, I read that and I couldn't believe like 42% don't. And I'm like, what? Having the ability to read and not reading gives you no advantage over those who can't. Um, So you're going to have to commit in this new world of endless innovation to a lifetime of learning. And you have the time to do it. One of the things that shows me that the people that, that get my book, many of them are already thinking this way, is hardback. I'm from that generation. I love holding it. You know, I also have Kindle. But the, the number one seller is the audiobook. Because you can learn while you're in the car. You can learn while you're on the treadmill. You can, you know, expand your mind while you're, you know, walking. Uh, great way to add that knowledge base, uh, you know. Uh, I talk in the book about a friend of mine, Ed, who was probably one of the foremost authorities on 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 uh, the legal aspects of World War II, because he's read every book because he's had some miserable commute for most of his career. <laughs> um, so he put it to use and has really become, you know, a- an expert. What's interesting is it doesn't take that much effort to become an expert. No, I had you a know? boss who used to tell me an expert. Is just someone who knows a little bit more about a subject than you do. And I was like, you know, that's really kind of true. <laughs> so if you spend some time on a subject, you are an expert. I mean, last year, I had nearly 1,600 employees working on blockchain projects. Okay. You know, what makes me a blockchain expert? Did I create blockchain? No. You know, one day I looked at it and said, okay, I get it. I get how it can use. Let me put it to use. And now I'm doing something that nobody else has done. And that's, that's the secret is if you're the first person to do thing, by definition, you're the best. Right. So if, so if you're doing something unique, you are actually the best person in the world at what you're doing. You have no competition. If you want to be successful, you need to separate yourself from the masses. And the only way to do that is to have some individual expertise in something that has value to others. So that's what I did with this, this, this young man. He wanted to, to be, you know, oh, I understand social media. I love social media. I, I, I could show how to people to be more successful with their, you know, Instagram following. Well, there's a million people that, that claim that, a million people who want to do that, and how are you going to get? So I said, let's work different. What's a sector of the economy that desperately needs that, that no one's claiming expertise in? So it has to be something brand new. So a year ago, there were a million new cryptocurrencies. That was the thing, you know, Bitcoin was going through the roof. So everybody was launching 3,000 other currencies. There's nobody saying, I'm the expert at building crypto following. So he marketed himself as that. Next thing you know, people were paying him 50,000 a month to do it. (laughs) Skill sets no different than what people used to pay him $50 a month to do. That's amazing. Hmm. So I guess, go ahead. I'm sorry. 
let me ask you this question because this this is real key for for people listening. Was there anything in the book that you said, no, that's too hard, or no, that you know, I I don't see how the dots connect. You know, I can't do. You know, there, there's no secret formula here. No, there, no. I mean, I think every time you read one of those books, you're looking for all right. This one's going to tell me actually how I can do it. This is the one. Like I know this. This is there's an easy button in one of these books. And after I read yours, and again, you and I from Philadelphia, so we come from a row home background, you know, blue collar neighborhood. You work your way up, you know, that neighborhood, your fireman, cop, carpenter, you know, that, that's, that's how you're expected to move on in those neighborhoods. And when I read the book, it was really kind of like a bootstrap thing. Like you have to stop and evaluate where you are at every, t- at every moment in your life and say, am I doing what I want to do? And if I don't, how do I pivot? And they were, it was basically what you just said a minute ago. We are less likely to be introspective on ourselves and figure out how can we change? It's always, I don't have enough money. I don't have the right connections, as you pointed out. It's somebody else's fault of why I'm not where I am. And your book says, no, it's not. It's really yeah, not. I quote Tolstoy. Everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing themselves. Exactly. And if you've made it this far into this podcast, if you're that committed, I have a gift for you. I have a 30, uh, 40 page, sorry, um, companion workbook. So you can start exercises immediately. It's free. Go to jsamet.com and download it and, you know, start your journey today because now is the second best time to start your business. A year ago was the best time. Um, but a year from now, you'll be glad you started. Jay, I appreciate your time. This has been a fascinating conversation. You haven't, does there another book coming out? I, let's be, tell everybody yeah, about that. I have a book coming out at the end of the year, and it, it's really, you know, looking at what I believe are the 10 absolute steps that you need to take um, with the changes that are about to be thrust upon us at scale. And so, you know, you're going to be disrupted. Life's going to change. It's up to you whether it changes for the better or worse. Great. I can't wait for that one because th- this one was awesome. So, but thanks, th- Bob. No, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck with the new book. Thank you much. Take care. It is always fun talking to a fellow Philadelphian, and Jay is no exception. I really enjoyed my time speaking with Jay. You must check out his book, Disrupt You. The book is about personal disruption. And without a doubt, AI and all of the technology that encompasses it will be disrupting industries, which means you will need to disrupt yourself. You will be disrupted. And you will need a roadmap for how to make that work best for you. And this book will help you get there. Please do not forget to reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram at SocietyWire. Or send me your hate mail at bob at societywire.net. I am always listening. I am sitting here right now hitting refresh in my email client right now, waiting for your emails to come in. Thank you so much for listening this week. And as always, I will see you next week. 